Yeah, well, that's better. That way people online can hear me. But yeah, I remember my dad always telling me, Julio, just you wait. And he still does it today. You know, he's, re- he's retired. And, and just the other day he says, just you wait. And I, now I just keep my mouth shut and I said, yes, dad. Yes, dad. Because I know better now. I know better now. And, and I was just online the other day and I was looking for some things that would familiarize ourselves, you know, with some of the things that are unique about that. Because in reality, the attributes of a father and a mother are very much the same. They are. But they're delivered differently. They're both loving. They're both caring. They're both concerned. But they're just different. Right? But the difference in that delivery is so important. And sometimes it's kind of funny. I I got this. Okay, here's a father's rationale on family genetics. You ready? This is what he said. My wife is so analytical with raising kids, and I am not. My feeling is if they turn out good, that means I was a good dad and put a lot of effort into it. If they turn out bad, it means they took after her side of the family. So that's a father's view of genetics. Here's a father's philosophy of a happy life. You know, happy blank, happy life. A young adult child wanted to bless their dad and gave him $100. And said to the father, said, go buy yourself something that'll make your life easier. So he went out and bought a present for my mother. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Father's perspective. Here's another one. Here's another one. A father of five came home with a toy, one toy. Five kids, one toy. He summoned his children and asked them, um, who should be given the present? Who is the most obedient? Who never talks back to mom? Who does whatever mom says? And then he, so he asked the question, who deserves the present? And there was silence, and they were all contemplating and waiting. And then finally they spoke up, and they say, you play with it, Daddy. it's funny and we laugh but all kidding aside all kidding aside there is something special about dads there is and in North America the importance of dads has been diminished it has been not taken seriously and there has been consequences And there is a biblical model that has been ignored. And one of the things I want to share with you today is the importance of fatherhood. But I want to speak to fathers. I want to speak to fathers today. And I want to call you to the calling that you've been given. And lift you up to him who knows how you as a father can be impactful in your family, in your community, in your life. So let's dig into it. Let's dig into this. But I have a question because here's, there's so many different things that I could speak about when it comes to being a father. There's so many aspects. But I want to concentrate on one today. And hopefully by the end, you'll understand the one that I want to focus on today. I think one that is very important for all of us. And there's a connection between 
the Last Supper, and fatherhood. There is an important connection between what happened at the Last Supper and fatherhood. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. All right. This morning when we were worshiping, I was actually astonished at how many of the attributes of God the Father came out in the, in the songs this morning. Because I had put a list. You, I probably could find 100 different attributes, but I put a list of 10 attributes. I actually was reading uh, an article by a mother, wife, pastor's wife, and writer online, and she summarized it so well, and so I want to share that with you and put some of my own words into it. But there are 10 attributes of God. And this morning when we were singing, those attributes came out loud and clear. These are attributes of the Father in our lives and how he guides us. Are you ready? Let's dig into scripture. Let's just go right to the Father in heaven, for he's the ultimate Father that we're to look to. So the first one is we have a loving God and a loving Father in heaven. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. It says, 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what a great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. He so loved us. We know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. His love is so great, so immense, that he is slow to anger. He sent his son He sacrificed so much for us. Isn't that love? Isn't that the love of a father that we want? A father who is willing to sacrifice anything that it takes for his children? Here's another attribute. Faithful. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, Great is your faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. He has been faithful to us at all times. We may not have our wants and our prayers answered. Sometimes God answers our needs. Sometimes he guides us into how we, he gives us things, but he has always been faithful and never leaves us. In times that we go through hard times, and, and I tell you, I've been through several And sometimes it feels like he's not there, but guess what? I depend on his word that tells me that he is always there. Because if he said it in his word, then I believe it. Isn't that what we sang this morning? If he says it, I believe it. And God is faithful. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Another attribute of a father in heaven. Let's go on to another one. Psalm 24, 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He is an all-powerful God. People, there is nothing that God cannot do. He might choose not to do certain things, but there is nothing he cannot do. And if people don't see it now, one day they will see it. For every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. That power is a power that comes from our God, our Father in heaven. And that is something that we can rely on, that we can trust, that we can put our faith in. 
Here's, let's go to a next attribute. He is sovereign. What does that mean? He is in control. Some people might say, well, God doesn't really know the future. No, he knows the future. He knows every second. He knows exactly what's going to happen in the next five seconds, in the next five minutes, in the next five hours, in the next five years, in the next five decades. He knows it all, all at the same time, all at once. He is sovereign. He is in control. There is nothing that he doesn't know. And in fact, all of our knowledge is what? Foolishness. So he is sovereign over everything. Everything. And we can depend on a sovereign God. Even though he's almighty, he's sovereign, but because of his love, he is gracious. Gracious. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Grace. Grace essentially is the gift that he gives us that we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. All of us, including me, we look back at our past. We don't deserve salvation. Nobody does. We have all come in short of the glory of God. We all have. Yet, God still, out of his grace, still wants us to be with him in heaven. Still wants to find a way for us to be with him forever. That is grace. That is grace. But God doesn't save all his goodness to then God is good. Psalm 34, 8 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God is good. Amen? Amen. All the time. All the time. Even when we don't see it. He is good. He is good to us when things are going well, and he's good to us when things aren't going well. And guess what? Sometimes he is actually being really good to us when things aren't going well. When things aren't going well. Because he's there to guide us through those times. And what have we learned in, in the Bible? When God, God does all the work, when God continually blessed Israel, what happened? They would turn from him. So his goodness and blessings come in the good times and they come in the hard times. One thing we do know about God is he is holy. Holy. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. He is holy. He is holy. We can trust in that. He is perfect. He is loving. The Lord Jesus never sinned. He is God. Our Father is perfect in heaven. And yet despite that, despite him being holy and us being sinful, he still loves us. He still pours grace on us. Despite his all-powerful, he could recreate humanity. He even said it to, to, to Moses. Why don't I just wipe these, one, these out and start all new again? And Moses had to intercede. God knew that he would intercede. It wasn't a question. God was actually 
was actually teaching Moses something about himself. He wants to save us. And despite him being holy, he asks us to be holy, but not by our strength, but by his strength. He is merciful. We deserve punishment, but Christ, through God's love, has removed that punishment from us. He's a refuge. He's a refuge. Psalm 91, 1-2 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. And lastly, he is always with us. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will hold you with my righteous right hand. He is always with us. He is always with us. Jesus' promise that when he went to heaven, that he would send us the Spirit, and he was always with us. He is with us now. He is with each and every one of you who serve the Lord. Every one of you. These are the ten attributes of God that I took out. And we can be thankful to have a God like that. Always loving, always gracious, always merciful. But we have to be honest. We have to be honest. We as fathers don't always get it right. We don't. We don't. Because without God, we're not holy. And there are times we trip up. And there are times that fathers don't get it right. And there are times that fathers might actually do things that even make their children sort of question what's going on. Let me tell you a story here. Something that speaks to me because this one, I think, hits home with me and, and, many, and many other aspects. Because there, you see, in life, sometimes as fathers, the way we were brought up sometimes perpetuates into our families. And we have to be careful of that. You see, my father, let me tell you a little bit about my father because it, it, it sort of lends itself to this story. See, my father um, didn't get a chance to go through school. I think he finished grade two or grade three, and he had to stop and start working. He barely learned to read and write. And what he had to do is he had to carry on his back a knapsack. Think about how old he would be in grade three. And with his father climbed the mountains between Spain and Portugal to go trade in Spain and then bring back other goods to Portugal. And he did that every week, faithfully, working hard. Working hard. He had to work in a mine all his life. He had to go through a whole bunch of things. In Portugal at the time, when he was young... They still had fa fascism was still a big thing up until the mid-70s. It was like that in, in Spain as well. And so he was told he had to go off and fight in colonial wars to suppress people from around the world. And he goes, I'm not going to do that. So he took off, which is how I ended up here. 
But what can a man with grade three education, no skills, do in a country like Canada? I remember as a child, my dad coming home with cement dust all over him from head to toe. And he worked long hours. He worked in the mines here in Canada, in and around the city. I think, I can't remember what the nickname was, gophers. The people who actually mine within the city. You have to go so far underground because of all the pipes and tunnels and wires to be able to create new tunnels so that the city continued to function that's pressurized. I remember going to funerals from collapsed tunnels of his peers. My father worked so hard that today his body has the effects of all those years of hard labor. And so that hard-working mentality rubbed off on me. And so I began that way. I worked hard. I worked so hard in my, in, in, when I started working. I would work day and night sometimes, always working hard. And so that value sort of came down to me. Sometimes we might take it too far. Now listen to this story, because this story, I think, speaks to what I'm trying to get at. A man came home from work late again, tired and irritated. He found his five-year-old son waiting for him at the door. Daddy, may I ask you a question? The dad replied, yeah, sure, what is it? Daddy, how much money do you make an hour? The dad got mad and said, that's none of your business. Why do you want to know? The little boy said, I just want to know, please tell me, how much do you make an hour? The dad, wanting to sit down and relax, said, if you must know, I make $20 an hour. The little boy sighed, bowed his head, looking up, asked dad, daddy, may I borrow $10, please? Well, the father flew off the handle. If the only reason you wanted to know how much money I make so that you can hit me up for some cash to buy some stupid toy, then you march yourself straight to your room and go to bed. You're so selfish. You, I work long, hard hours every day and don't have time for this. The little boy quietly went to his room and shut the door. The dad sat down and started to get even madder about the nerve of his little boy. How dare he ask questions only to get some money? After an hour or so, the man had calmed down and started to think that maybe he was a bit hard on his boy. Maybe his son really needed the money for something important. And so the father went up to his boy's room and opened it. Are you asleep, son? No, daddy, I'm awake, replied the boy. I've been thinking. Maybe I was too hard on you earlier. It's been a long day, and I took it out on you. Here's that 10 bucks you asked for. The little boy sat up straight, beaming. Oh, thank you, Daddy, he explained. Then reaching under his pillow, he pulled out a wad of crumpled bills. The dad, seeing that the boy already had some money, started to get angry again. The little boy slowly counted out his money and then looked up at his dad. The dad, now ticked off, demanded to know what was going on. Why did you want more money if you already had some? The little boy replied, because I didn't have enough, but now I do. Daddy, 
I have $20 now, and I'd like to buy an hour of your time. You see, sometimes as dads, and this, could, this is also true for mothers, but sometimes as dads and as fathers, we sometimes hold on to certain things of what a dad is. And so I held on to the one thing that a father was, is somebody that worked so hard and brought money home, and that's what I was all about. You see, I was defined by my father's experience onto me. And don't get me wrong, working hard is a good thing. We all must work hard. Being lazy is not an option. That is not what I'm saying. But taking it too far. Look at the, look at the attributes we just went through God the Father has. There is balance. There is love. There is mercy. And here's the thing. Even as a Christian, I wasn't balanced. And so God had to work with me and chisel away at me as a father to help me to learn that I cannot be defined by culture, by family, by history, by tradition. Because all of that is man-made. All of it. Canadian cultural understanding of what a father is, that has nothing to do with who God is. Portuguese cultural understanding of what a father is, really? Does it really define what a father should be? Or should we look at the biblical model? And this is what I think as fathers, we are called not to fall into those traps not to fall into those traps. We as fathers have a responsibility to look to Father, the Father in heaven, and see how he deals with us as his children. If there's an example that we have to follow as fathers, that is the example. And so my call to fathers today is not be bound by the chains of tradition, of culture, a family, but be bound by the word of God. Be bound by the truth of God in who you are being called to be. Because God's promises are that you will be a blessing to your family and they will be a blessing to you. Here's another aspect. If you don't think that our culture isn't failing, here's another aspect. It's worse in the States, but in Canada it's getting worse. Also, but fatherlessness is on the rise. On the rise. In Canada, it has grown so much. And the stats in the U.S. and, and, and Canada are similar. But children from fatherless homes account for 90% of all homeless and runaway children. 90%. 71% of high school dropouts come from homes without a father. 63% of youth suicides, no father in the home. I was reading a Focus on the Family um, article, and in the, in the state where they were writing about, 90% of the inmates in that entire state came from a fatherless home. 
What can we do about it? What can we do about it? Well, the first thing that we can do is confess one thing. That we, in our own efforts, in our own hard work, in our own traditions, in all our knowledge, in all our education, we have all come short of the glory of God. There is no wisdom that we can gain from books, professionals that can meet the wisdom, the truth that comes from the Word of God. I'm not saying that we don't consult people, but what I'm saying is is that when we put what man has to say, what tradition has to say above what God says, we start to get into trouble. But here's our hope. Here's our hope. But if we as fathers do this, if we as fathers do this, Psalm 51.10, if we start with this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That just doesn't, that, that's just not at the beginning when we become born again. That is something that we need to do on an ongoing basis. Ongoingly, we need to call out to God and say, God, how can you refine my heart more and more? How can you clean my heart more today than yesterday? What can I do to become a better father? And so today, I, I want to deep dive into some, into some scripture, some stories in the Bible that hold some clues as to what it is that is going to make us the fathers that God wants us to be. Are you ready? Let's dive in. The first story that I want to talk to you about is in Mark chapter 9. Now, you don't have to read through the whole chapter. I'm going to read through it. I'm going to pick some highlights. But here's the story. And sometimes in the Bible, we can look at, you know, big characters, and sometimes there's these little stories, right, that the Bible puts in. Really interesting little stories. I mean, John said it. If we were to try and write everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough paper in the world to actually to record it, right? So the ones that he chose are very important for us, especially the little ones. There must be something so important in those little stories. And there's this little story in Mark chapter 9. Let's start with this one. And it's where Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. Such an amazing little story. And this is what happened. This is what happened. I'll, I'll, I'll go through it rather quickly. There's a father, and you guys know this story, and if you don't know this story, this is how it goes. There's a father with a child who keeps becoming mute and sometimes throws himself into the fire. Loses control. There's a spirit inside of him, and the father is desperate. The father is, is a loving father that just doesn't leave it to the mother. You take care of it. It's your problem. I work in the fields. I work hard. Take care of the child. No. This father actually took responsibility for the condition his child was in. And he heard about Jesus. And so he brought his child to Jesus. But the first thing that he hit was the disciples. 
And so here are all the disciples, and they're trying to pray over this child. They're trying to cast the spirit out, and it's not working. And so there's this commotion, and Jesus sees this commotion. And so Jesus then calls them over, goes, what's going on? And so the father comes and explains to Jesus what is happening and explains to Jesus what is happening with his son. And in verse 22 of Mark chapter 9, listen to this dialogue. The father says, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He knew where his help was. He didn't leave it to his wife or to anybody. He took responsibility for his child. And look what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. You see that? Jesus throws back at him and says, well, if you can, if you believe... A little bit aggressive, don't you think? Jesus is saying, you're coming to me for help? Well, do you believe? You're asking me, but what about you? Look how he answers. Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. That is a wonderful, beautiful attribute of a loving father. Why? Because he confesses his own weakness. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed to admit that his belief maybe is, is hampered. That there is, there is something in him that is lacking. He had the wisdom to go and seek Jesus. But he had the inner heart to know that he needed more. And guess, guess what? He asked Jesus. And so we as fathers, I think, one of the first things that we can do to really understand how to become the father that God has called us to for our families is to confess our weaknesses. That is so hard for a man to do. Men don't like to talk about their weaknesses. I mean, we're brought up to be strong, I remember when I was young and, and in uh, the schoolyard, I used to get into fights, and some of the people I used to get into fight with became my best friends. Isn't that weird? That's guys. We're not taught to be weak. We're not taught to cry. We're not taught to confess our weaknesses. And here's this father in front of Jesus, in front of probably hundreds of people, confessing out loud. He cried out loud. Do you see that? He cried out loud without shame, without worrying about people's judgment. Help my unbelief. And the story goes that Jesus cast out the spirit and the child was healed. The first thing that we as men need to do is need to realize that we are weak and that he is strong and that he can shine and his glory will shine through our weakness. But we need to confess it and need we to admit it. We need to be okay with publicly admitting it. 
with our wives and our children. It's okay if your children know you're not perfect. In fact, it might actually help them understand you a bit better. Here's another story in Mark as well. This is another beautiful story. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. We won't go through the whole thing. Mark chapter 5. I want to focus on the ruler. The ruler in this story. You see, the ruler in this story was a local ruler of the synagogue. We know what was going on behind the scenes with Jesus. The Pharisees and the rulers of the synagogue were starting to question Jesus. He was getting prominent, more prominent than him. And so here we have a ruler within the religious community with a daughter who's dying. And he could have been more worried about what his peers will think, what others will think of him, than his daughter. But no. Again, another father who took on the responsibility. And what did he do? It said in verse 22, to said, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, seeing him, he fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. In fact, the imagery they got is he just, he just prostrated himself down. He didn't just kneel. He fell. He cast himself and fell before Christ's feet. A ruler. Someone who's used to people coming to him. People who respect him, who think that his authority is God's authority. Think about who this guy is in this town. But he casts all of that out. And with a humble heart, he casts himself before the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? See, what was happening was his daughter was dying. And as this was going on, people came and said, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. That's it. That's it. You're too late. And Jesus hearing says, in verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Again, believe. Do not fear, only believe. And here's another aspect that we as fathers, we shouldn't fear what other people think. We shouldn't be worried about what expectations are on us. What we need to do is we need to believe and not fear, but act in courage. And then we go down to verse 42 after people had stopped and, and started to laugh because Jesus was saying that the girl isn't dead. Jesus came in and, and locked them all out, and it was just the parents. And in verse 42, it says, And immediately the girl got up and began walking after Jesus had called her, saying, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Overcome with amazement. This is a father. A father who is humbling himself 
casting everything that is about him away. And so this is a lesson that we have here as fathers today. And so these attributes that God is calling us and making this known to us is something that I think that we should take heart. This week, I was talking with a friend of mine. And this gentleman, um, many years, was married, and he rented out the basement of his apartment. And in the basement of his apartment was this young couple that had just gotten married. And he says, it was a lovely couple. They were always happy. They went to church every Sunday faithfully. They paid the rent on time. They never got upset when he would ask things of them. They did it. He was saying, I had rented out that basin to other people. And after they left to other people, there's nobody else that I've rented this basement apartment to that was like this young couple. And he didn't know what was going on, but God had already started working with this man. He wasn't a Christian yet. God had started to lay out a plan to mold this man's heart from where he was to where he is today. And so he had on his notion that he was going to work hard, start a company, do all these things, provide for his family. He had a vision of what life was going to be. Years after that couple had left the basement of his home, he came home one day and his wife said, I'm leaving. She wanted a change. What are you to do as a father with two children? And I know this family well. There wasn't craziness going on in the home. It just came to a point where she had enough of being a mom that comes home every day. She wanted something different. She wanted to start life all over again. And he was devastated. As any man would be. But through that, through that, he came to find the Lord. Do you see that? That disaster in his life, came to find the Lord. And it started to define him as a father. Strange, eh? Ironic. That as a single parent, it started to define him, and God started to work with him. And he came to know the Lord. And over the years, I remember talking to him about his walk and, and what he would do. And he'd say sometimes the children would come home and they would talk bad about the money. He'd go, no, don't talk about it. She's your mother. Don't you dare. I don't want to hear it. Whereas probably most men who are divorced and the wife who had decided to leave would enjoy that and say, yeah, she is, isn't she? 
She deserves it. But he wouldn't do that. He would say, no, you don't talk like that to your mother. In my presence, you will respect your mother. And we won't talk of what she did. And to this day, this man continues to support his children. And guess what? He never stopped being a friend to his ex-wife. When she needed something, he would provide. When she asked, he would give. Despite all the pain that he had gone through. And you see, he realized that it was God working in him through all of that suffering and molding him taking away, he came from a similar background that I did. Portuguese, expectations of what a man should be, how they should behave. God was stripping all of that away. And this week he told me about a beautiful story. He goes, Julio, I was just praying in the presence of the Lord and feeling so, so unworthy. He has been so good to me, and I have not deserved it. Can you understand? He had lost his job during COVID. He had gone to visit his mom overseas, got stuck there. They had a job for him. He couldn't get back. So he lost that job too. And here he is on the phone saying, God has been so good to me. He goes, I'm like a mouse. I'm no more worthy than a rat, a mouse before the Lord. And he said, I was praying this. And then all of a sudden, it's like I, I lost consciousness. And I was taken into this place. And I didn't know where I was. And there was light. And there was, there was feet. And I began to realize that it was a vision of Jesus' feet. And Jesus reached down, and the little mouse ran out to his hand, and he picked up this little mouse, and the mouse turned into a man, and Jesus hugged the man, and he awoke from this vision, bawling his eyes out. Today, he has a stronger relationship with his children than he's ever had. That is the father that God wants to create in us. That is the father that God wants to create in you, and he can. He can. That's what he wants. He wants that for all of us as fathers. That's not just it. I have a challenge for you, fathers. Another challenge for you. It's one thing that we need to be called and not worry about what people say about what a father should be, but focus on the Lord. But I have one more calling for you here tonight. And I want to go to another story in the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Chapter 9 follows chapter 8 of King David and talking about his mighty accomplishments 
everything that he has done, the battles he has won, all the things that he has been able to achieve. And here in chapter 9, David does something so amazing. He wants to bless the family of the former king who tried to kill him. You see, kings of his time, it was normal for them to wipe out the entire family line. Saul had wanted to wipe out David from the face of this earth. But Jonathan had a son. And Jonathan was a close friend of David. And this is what David says in verse 3. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I might show the kindness of God to him? Did you catch something that David said? Here is David, king, a warrior. He is now king of the whole kingdom. He has overcome people who tried to kill him, his enemies. And look what he says. He doesn't talk about his kindness. Do you get it? He doesn't say that my kindness. He's talking about the kindness of God. He's confessing that the, my, his kindness isn't enough. This is the secret. We as fathers don't have it in us. But if we want to be kind to our children, we got to call out to God, God, give me your kindness so I can flow it through to my children. If I want to love my family, I should be going to God, give me your love so that I may flow it through my children. God, teach me your grace and mercy so that I may actually flow it through to my family. Show me, Lord, how to be faithful. Flow through me your faithfulness so I can be faithful to my family. Just like King David, I want to show not my kindness, not my grace, not my mercy, God's. God's. When we start shifting towards God being in us and through us, for a family in everything. It's not about us. It's about God. And it's about the people we serve. We as fathers are servants in our family. And all those attributes I spoke with at the front, all those attributes of God that we sang about, they're from God. And it, we accept our humble state that we need God more, that we lack that we're weak and that anything that is good in us actually comes from God watch what God can do in our families watch what God can do in our families do we approach God like this man that I just spoke to you about so grateful yet understanding that we're basically nothing before God and that everything is from God. And it says in verse 11, 
that his son ate at David's table like one of, his, one of the king's sons. And David brought him in. And here's the other challenge I have for you as fathers. God just doesn't want us to be biological fathers. We heard Pastor Dino this morning talk about spiritual fathers. He wants us to be spiritual fathers. And men in this room, you may or may not have a biological child, but I am telling you, and online, that God is calling you to be a father as well. We as men have the attributes to be a father to the fatherless in God's strength. He has given that to us. Don't believe me? Let's read it. Colossians 3.10. Put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's talking about you. God is flowing through his knowledge, his ability, his will. And he says that he is a father to the fatherless. I'm calling on fathers today to rise up as the father that God has called you to be, but I'm also calling you to be a father to the fatherless in this church because right now in this country, about one-fifth to one-quarter of family households have fatherless children. That means that one in every four children, one in every five children don't have a father in the home. And you saw the stats. You saw the stats. There are children, teenagers, who are in a home without a father. I challenge you to walk this neighborhood. And it's probably more than one in five or one in four in this neighborhood. What are we going to do about it? Let me tell you a story. Another one. I got another good one. There was a boy a long time ago in Newfoundland. Came to Toronto. Mother was a crackhead. Had many boyfriends. Boy was born, doesn't know who his father was. And for years, I was bringing this boy to church every week. Picking him up at home and bringing him here. And he was with a foster parent at that point in time. And he grew up with no family, but this foster parent had taken him in and tried to raise him. And then his foster parent died. So first, mother was a crackhead. He had to leave, go stay with the foster parent. And then his foster parent dies. He's in this congregation. What do we do? What do we do, gentlemen? This son is now our son in this community. We need to take responsibility up for the children that come here. You are called to be fathers in your home, but you're also called to be fathers in here. 
God has called you to, to bless your home, but also to bless the community. There are children who need you. And so this boy grew up in this church. And some of you who have been to this church a long time, this was a long time ago, know the story well. And this boy was actually taken in by one of the pastoral staff and raised in their home. And we all took it upon us as men to raise this boy. I remember having many discussions with him in youth. This boy became a man, a son of God. He accepted Christ in this church. He began to know what a father was because of the fathers of this church. Because they were obedient to God and allowing God to flow through them and mold them. And so he had many, many people that he could look up to as fathers. He joined the army, became a soldier in the Canadian army during the Afghan war. Look at what, I'm going to tell you some stories here that show you what a fatherless child in the midst of men of this church who are willing to commit to being fathers in their home and outside their home, this is what can happen. He goes to Afghanistan. And he's actually pretty good at shooting. He's a sharpshooter. Canadians are known for being sharpshooters. I think one of the longest shots that killed an enemy soldier was actually by a Canadian ever recorded in history. And so he was a really, really good sharpshooter. And so they would always put him on point. He also had excellent eyesight. So they always put him on point because he could see when the enemy was holed up and ambushing. And that was his role. He would, he, you know, he told me some funny stories. There was once in the early days before the Americans arrived, and it was mostly Canadians in the Kandahar district, that there was sort of like a respect between the Canadians and the Taliban. And one day he was drinking out of a, out of a can, and a bullet came, and it went, choom! And he saw from his canteen water flowing on either side. A bullet had just pierced through his canteen. And he looked up, and there was a Taliban sharpshooter like he was laughing at him. But he said things got worse. The Americans came. The battles got harder. There were no more pleasantries in the battlefield. And he was on point, and he fought many battles. And he does not sing any praises to the men he had to kill. But he knew... And deep down in his heart that he only should kill if he has to. But his commander and his captain want him to kill regardless. So what does he do? Does he follow what God had put on his heart or does he follow his captain's lead? So let me share some cool stories. There was one time he was out on patrol and he knew that we were going to be ambushed. So he, he got his entire troop to, to take position and take cover. And he saw one guy ready to shoot him. And he brought up his rifle and he could shoot to the middle of his chest, but he saw a clear shot to shoot the gun out of his hand. And he shot the gun out of his hand. He shot another one in the shoulder and he wounded them and the others ran away. 
They went in, they captured that platoon of Taliban and brought them back in. Now, was he hailed a hero because he's such a sharpshooter and he can shoot a gun out of somebody's hand? No. What did the captain say to him? I told you it was shoot to kill. Why'd you let them live? He goes, because I didn't have to kill them. Why should I kill somebody because you told me to? If I don't have to kill them, why would I have to kill them? If I have to for my own life and I have no other choice, I will. And he told that there were many stories like this. And so here is this boy without a father understanding some very basic things. And where did he learn them? In the church. You see, he would, say, he would tell me, you know, Julio, when I was in the military, all these guys would go out and play poker and spend the money that they got from their salaries and everything. And I never spent it. It would just build up in my account because I didn't want to go outside the base or go to those places in the base where you gamble and you buy stuff and you get drunk, go to the bar because they'd have bars inside the bases where they had. He would never do that. So every time he wouldn't kill a Taliban because he knew he could wound them or shoot the gun out of their hands and capture him, he'd have to pay a fine. That's how they do it in the Canadian army. Well, because you didn't shoot the kill like I told you, you have to pay a fine. And so you know what he said to his captain? I have a lot of money, you guys pay me, and I don't use it on drugs, alcohol, or girls. Here you go, here's my fine. Every time. Didn't I tell you you were shoot to kill? Oh, what's my fine? Tell me what it is. Here, here's the money, I'll pay the fine. I don't need the money. This boy had become a young man. And look at the example he is to all the soldiers around him and to the captain. He'd rather obey God than obey man. Today, he is a father with children living in Ottawa. He's no longer in the military. He loves the Lord. And that is what we can do as fathers to our children, but also to people who are not our children, but are in this place. And so, yes, I might have a heart for the young ones because I, I'm with them every week. And I know that there are some that need a father. And so I'm calling us to be a community of fathers, to bless our families, but to bless the children of this church. And I believe that God is going to be bringing us children from around here. And when he does, we're going to need fathers who can step up and be a father to them. And that's, that is what it means to be a father to the fatherless. And to recognize what King David said. Let us stand. You guys know I'm going to do this. So fathers, get ready. I want all the fathers to come to the front. Come on. All you fathers, come to the front. All you fathers come to the front.
Now, those of you, there are some of you, you may or may not be here, but I know, I know you. You may not be a father yet. Or you may never be a father, let's say, biologically. But you know you have a heart for young people. You know you have a heart to reach out to them and to love them. You may be a father in the future. I'm calling you to the front too, not just if you have a biological father, because I need men who are going to stand up in this church and not use the excuse, well, I'm not a father, I don't have that responsibility. I want you to come to the front. Come to the front if you're a man in this church. God has put the aspects, the attributes of what is a father in you. You also have the responsibility to be a father in this church. You can bless other fathers and children. God wants to do mighty things with you. For you and your families and for all of those in need. There was a song we sang today, a song that touched my heart. And men, there's no other thing. It's so beautiful when men sing together. You thought I was just calling you for prayer, eh? I gotcha. This is a choir of men. We're going to sing that song right now. And I want you to sing it as your confession. This is your confession. The song that we sang this morning is a man of your word. It's talking about how God is a man of his word. Do you believe that God has given you what it takes to become the father that he wants you to be? Do you believe in his promises that he will help you, he will mold you, he will give you what you need, he will bless you, he will work through you if you humble yourself? Do you believe that? Because if you do, then you know God is a man of his word. He fulfills his promises and what he says he's going to do. But that means that you have to be defined by him. Not by me. Not by culture. Not by some very knowledgeable PhD that has written a book of what a father should be. But by him. He's your identity. He defines who you are as a man. And so right now, I want you to sing this song. Really sing this song as your confession with your heart. Let this place, let everybody online hear you. Amen? All right, I'm going to come down here and join you. Lead us. Let's go for it. things are possible